Hello, everyone. Welcome to the deep dive on Amazon S3. My name is Susan Chan. I'm a senior product manager with, Amazon, with the Amazon S3 team. So Amazon have a full range of storage uh, portfolio. If you need file, we have Amazon EFS. If you need block storage, you can choose between Amazon EBS for persistent store or Amazon EZ2 for your instant store. Today, we're going to focus on Amazon S3 on the object storage. So here's what we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to uh, dive deep into how you can pick the right storage class for your use case. I'll talk a little bit about some of the tools we, uh, we offer you to automate your management tasks so you can focus on growing your business and building your application and leave the heavy lifting to, to S3. I'll talk a little bit about some of the best practice. You can get better performance out of S3. And I'll also go through some of the new tools that we're offering to help you manage your storage. So to start with, I'd love to hear how many of you are actually cur currently using S3? Majority of you. Fantastic. This is a deep dive session. I am f assuming that you have working, work, some working knowledge of S3. I'm likely going to go all the way up to the top of the hour, but I will stay back to answer questions for as long as you need. And I'll have a few colleagues with me as well. Um, so you, uh, we'll, we probably won't have a, uh, time for Q&A, but I'll stay back at the end and you can answer your question, uh, to answer your questions. To start off with, let's talk about, uh, oh, what happened here? Getting your data into S3. Not all, data, uh, not all data transfer is the same, we know that. And therefore, we offer a range of tools to help you get your data into S3. If you want to stream data into, uh, into Amazon, you can uh, consider Amazon Kinesis Firehose. If you have uh, data on-premises and you want it to connect your on-premise uh, infrastructure with the AWS cloud, consider the, uh, the AWS Storage Gateway. A couple days ago, we announced that we added a, a file gateway, so you can use the, uh, if you have uh, on-premise application that, are, that has the NFS protocol, you can connect to your S3 bucket as an NFS mount point. So that's something new. If you have, if you have petabytes of storage uh, in a location that doesn't have very good connectivity, you can consider AWS Snowball Edge which has also compute power, so you can do some processing as you load your data onto the Snowball. And of course, if you have hundreds of petabyte or exabyte of data, consider uh, AWS Snowmobile. They won't let me drive the Snowmobile on stage, but here you have it for effect. If you have data on premises, you probably have software from one of these industry leaders. Some of these can help you migrate workload onto AWS so your application can run on AWS or in a hybrid architecture mode. They make it easy for you to migrate or scale your growth, leveraging Amazon S3 and Amazon Glacier as your cloud storage targets. So once you, once you figure out how to get your data into, into, onto the cloud, you have a choice of storage classes on Amazon S3. All three of these storage classes are highly durable and, and uh, 
uh, and they're designed for 11 nines of durability. Let's start with S3 standard. It is designed for active data, the, that hot workload that you have. It is highly performance, designed for four nines of availability. So it's always available. It, this is the general purpose storage class. When you have new data that comes in and they're frequently accessed, consider starting with S3 standard. And as data age, a lot of the times you see the access pattern to drop off. Standard infrequent access is designed for this colder and less frequently accessed data. This still have the same high performance as S3 standard. So when you need that data, you still have access to it right away. This has a much lower cost point with cost starting at 1.25 cents per gigabyte which is 45% lower in storage costs than S3 standard. It does, there is a retrieval course cost for standard infrequent access, but if you are, you are putting that colder, store, uh, colder uh, object in, in the storage class, you are able to take advantage of that lower storage cost. And as your data age even further, at some point, no one is really actively interacting with your data anymore. You might need to keep it for record keeping purposes. Glacier is designed for this long-term archive purpose. It has very, very low cost with uh, storage starting at four-tenths of a cent. And earlier we announced that there's additional uh, retrieval option. So there are now three retrieval options ranging from minutes to hours. So you can choose depending on how quickly you need the data. Before I move on to this slide, I also want to mention that we have just dropped uh, pricing for S3 standard effective today. So uh, standard has pricing now starting at 2.3 cents per, uh, per gigabyte per month. So how does this, all these storage classes relate to your use case? How do you pick the right storage classes? Well, here's kind of a th rule of thumb. If, you are think, uh, if your storage is for big data analysis, content distribution, or static website, you're likely going to see a lot of retrieval on your, on your data. So consider starting with S3 standard, using S3 standard for those data. If your use case is for backup and archive or disaster recovery, you generally don't access this data until the very rare occasion when you need it, you know, when your primary copy it becomes unavailable. But when you need it, you need it right away. Standard infrequent access is designed for this. So I'll consider uh, using uh, directly putting into standard infrequent access for these data. Glacier is for your long-term archive. So other than the, the really, really old data that you need, you need to keep, we also see customers just directly putting into uh, Glacier for uh, preservation, for digital preservation. For example, earlier Sony shared that they have just moved over a million hours of videos from magnetic tape into Glacier for digital preservation. So maybe you can consider, uh, maybe you, you also have some of these use cases, and you can think about which storage classes um, you, should, you should be using. So as I mentioned, the, uh, uh, as your data age, a lot of the times, even when you, uh, when you start with S3 standard and your, your new data that you're, you're doing or your big data analysis, at some point, you, uh, at some point the, the access pattern drops just because you, you've got newer data and the older data is no longer used. So the next big question is, when should you move this data into, uh, into standard and frequent access? So for that, we recently, we just announced uh, S3 analytics. 
storage class analysis. What it is, it, it helps you uh, visualize the access pattern on your data over time so that you can, you, can, you can see what the access pattern of your data is and visualize it so you can take a data-driven approach to manage your storage. Once you, uh, what uh, storage class analysis help you with, other than visualizing, is also, it also measures the object age when the data becomes infrequently accessed. You can, you can configure... You can configure storage class analysis by the bucket, or you can also selectively uh, configure it into prefix or specific object tags. So you can dive deep and figure out which part of your data is infrequently accessed and take advantage of that. And what storage class analysis that you do is, is that uh, it gives you it, it, it gives you uh, an easy output so that you can easily create a lifecycle policy based on the data. Lifecycle policies are based on age. So you can, you can observe uh, the age of the, uh, of the object and, and figure out when you sh uh, at what point you should, uh, uh, you should set your lifecycle policy and tra uh, transition that into standard and frequent access. Sorry, this is a little glitchy. So here's how uh, uh, storage class analysis look like. Once you enable it, you get a dashboard uh, that look like this. On, on the top of the dashboard, it tells you how long you have been you, you have have this enabled. Obviously, the longer uh, the longer the data uh, the longer you've had this enabled, the more um, the more confident you are with you know how long your your time series is. So what you can see in, in here, you know, based on the storage over the last 115 days that we've been observing this data, um, uh, we're seeing that objects older than 30, uh, 90 days are infrequently accessed. So you can tell that in my, in my bucket, I have three petabyte of storage, and I'm retrieving about two petabyte of it. So overall, it seems like this is actually pretty frequently accessed. I'm looking at 65% of my data. It's pretty active. So it looks like standard might be the right storage class for me. And down below, you can see the uh, kind of the time series. So the blue is the amount of storage uh, stored, and the purple is the uh, amount of data retrieved. But you, uh, so what, it, uh, what we also give you, other than that uh, broad uh, analysis, is we also dissect your data into age buckets. So here you can see the top three, the top three box is uh, data less than 60 days old. You, we are frequently accessing those. So those are, uh, S3 standard is the right storage class for them. You can see the, to uh, the bottom uh, right-hand, left-hand two boxes, data older than 90 days, they are actually very infrequently accessed. Most all your access is actually concentrated on data that is newer than 90 days. So that is an opportunity for you to set a lifecycle policy uh, at 90 days to transition anything that is older than 90 days uh, into standard infrequent access. And you can see there's over, uh, out of that three petabyte that I saw, over, uh, one, uh, over one petabyte of that could have been in standard infrequent access. So this data is, very, is, uh, is 
uh, this, this valuable data, you can also export uh, S3 analytics. So you can use it with the tools that, you're, uh, that you wanted to use with. So you can use it with uh, Amazon Quick, uh, QuickSight or Excel or any of these tools that, uh, that you would like. The, the, output, uh, the export is, is an output of a flat file, so you can, you can do the, uh, the analysis in the way that you like. So how do you get started? Uh, you might, uh, so this is, this is actually uh, uh, the management console that some, uh, most of you pro are probably familiar with. This is our uh, old management console. Uh, in order for you to uh, see these new features, you need to opt in and get into the new management console. So once you opt into the new management console, um, you can see this uh, uh, new interface. You can go to the management tab. Under analytics, you'll be able to uh, uh, enable storage class analytics on the, uh, the right-hand side. You can also add filters, as you can uh, filter for, uh, by prefix or by object tag, um, so you can have detailed analysis for a specific part of your, uh, of your bucket. And you can also uh, opt to export the data so you can use it into, uh, with the tools uh, that you want. When you enable this for the first time, it may take uh, one to two days before you start seeing uh, your analysis as we populate your data. So next, uh, we, let's talk about uh, how you can man uh, automate some of these management tasks. So we've talked about uh, storage class analysis. You figured out that uh, maybe some of, your, uh, some of your data, for my example, nine, uh, anything over 90 days, I should really move into S3 uh, standard infrequent access. You can use lifecycle policy to automate all of that. Lifecycle policy uh, allows you to set a, a, a transition data into standard infrequent access or Glacier and also, at the end, uh, uh, you can also set a policy to remove data that you no longer need. You can, you can choose some of, uh, one or more of these actions, or you can also combine all of these actions. So you can transition to standard and frequent access in 90 days, and then later on transition to Glacier, and then at the end, uh, expire. Or you can just choose expire if that's what you need. You can set uh, policy at a very granular level. You can do it at the bucket level prefix or object tags, the same way that you can, uh, you can get your uh, S3 analytics with. You can also set up different, different policy for current or non-current version if you have a uh, version-enabled bucket. So this, uh, quickly, uh, the best way to walk through uh, how to set uh, lifecycle policy is actually through the management console. So this is the new console interface. Um, the first step is you would, uh, you would add any filter that you wanted. By default, lifecycle policies are at the bucket level. So you can either set it at the bucket level, or in my case, in this demonstration, uh, uh, objects that are in prefix one and tagged as department equal finance will get, uh, will be, will apply this, uh, will have this lifecycle policy applied. Next, you set, uh, you can uh, optionally set transition. So here, based on the observation from the storage class analysis, I'm setting my transition to standard infrequent access for 90 days after the object is created. And remember, when we, uh, as object transition from standard to standard IA, there is no change in the URI, so your application don't need to change at all. Uh, the read, uh, the uh, read path is the same.
And uh, here I also, trans uh, I also set to transition. Uh, so after, after the object is transi transitioned into standard uh, infrequent access, I also ask uh, lifecycle policy to transition into Amazon Glacier a year after the object is created. And you can also set expiration. So here I'm setting expiration for 10 years. After 10 years, I no longer need to uh, retain my, uh, my record. And so uh, I ask lifecycle policy uh, to remove that uh, after 10 years. So once you set this lifecycle policy, you can, uh, you can move on to uh, you know, developing your application and, and managing your business. And S3 will, uh, will evaluate your policy every day and make changes uh, according to the rule that you have set. So you don't have to think about it anymore. It's all automated. So the second topic that I want to cover is uh, policy so you can uh, protect your data from accidental delete. Uh, we encourage you to uh, consider versioning. Versioning gives you the ability to recover from unintended deletes or application logic failure. You know, S3 is a highly durable uh, storage, but we cannot tell uh, a delete that is unintentional versus intentional. If it is a delete request, uh, we take that delete request uh, and we uh, remove your object. What, when you have versioning enabled, what it does is that uh, every upload, every upload is created as a new version of the object. So if you uh, put an object in an existing key, instead of overriding that key, we'll put a new version on top of that. Uh, and so all the previous versions are preserved. When you delete an object in a version enable bucket, instead of removing that object, we actually put a delete marker on top. And when you read the object, it will behave as if, as if the, the object no longer exists. But if you decide that that was an unintentional delete, you can remove that delete marker, and you, you can elegantly uh, you know, roll back uh, to your previous version. So we, uh, we recommend this as a best practice. So as an advanced tip, you can actually create a lifecycle bin for your storage by combining versioning and lifecycle policy. So you can you enable versioning on your bucket, and that creates the recycle bin as it maintains every version of your object as you, as you write on it. And, and you use uh, lifecycle policy. You can set up a non-current expiration policy to define the duration uh, of your recovery window. For example, you want, uh, you want to maintain all the old version for 14 days, and beyond that, you probably don't need it anymore. So use a lifecycle expiration policy, and we just automatically remove that after 14 days of it being non-current. So the third topic I want to go through is, uh, is uh, for you to consider automating with trigger-based workflow. For example, when you get raw data into your bucket, you may want to process it. Um, and you can automate, uh, you can automate uh, that with event notification. You can set up event notification in response to specific cha uh, changes to your uh, object, be it object creation or deletion. And you can also be very specific that says uh, uh, to uh, set up a filter on either by prefix or by suffix. So you can say, hey, only trigger the event if an object is created in my slash image uh, prefix. Or only trigger an event if uh, an object is created that has a dot raw uh, suffix. It, notification can be published in, uh, into uh, three, different, uh, three different targets. Uh, 
you can publish a push notification with Amazon SNS. So you can broadcast event to a large number of clients, or you can uh, you know, trigger a mobile alert. You can also uh, you can do a push notification with SQSQ, so your worker fleet uh, can asynchronously process, uh, process uh, your data um, in the back end. A third way you can get notification is through a Lambda function. So with, uh, you can trigger a notification so that uh, the uh, Lambda would automatically execute your code when uh, that S3 event that you define occurs. Lambda, can, uh, Lambda would run that code without you having to provision server uh, or manage instances. So it's very convenient. We're seeing a lot of customers adopting uh, event notification. Uh, we have customers like Human Longevity who's using uh, S3 event to, uh, to trigger their geno uh, genome, uh, genomics processing. We also hear that uh, Turner, the broadcasting company, uses S3 event to trigger Lambda function for their content processing. So think about uh, whether or not there's, uh, there's a place in your application uh, for event notification. The fourth topic I want to talk about is cross-region replication. There are many reasons why you, may want, uh, why you may need to replicate across regions. You may have compliance requirement that, uh, that necess necessitate you to store data hundreds of miles apart. You may want to enhance security by replicating data between buckets with completely separate owners and account, account owners. We hear Ring, who have just shared with us that uh, the, the video doorbell company they use cross-region replication, uh, so they have data in two different regions, to take advantage of spot instance pricing, so they can uh, process uh, data, uh, so they can process their video uh, in a, at lower costs. And they also use uh, cross-region replication uh, to provide low-latency access to their end users. So how cross-region replication works is you put a policy in uh, that's a, that uh, tells S3 the destination region and the destination bucket uh, of your choice to replicate to. And once you put the policy in, we automatically and asynchronously uh, replicate your storage. For er so every new uh, upload into S3 is replicated uh, into that uh, destination bucket. You can also uh, you can, uh, choose to replicate uh, a full bucket or specific prefixes within that bucket. You can, also, you can also choose to replicate into a different storage class. For example, if, all your, if you have a mix of standard or standard infrequent access in your source bucket and you wanted everything in standard infrequent access, you can, just, you can set that as part of your replication policy. Once you set that policy, just like all the other policy, you can, uh, you can let S3 uh, do the work and you can focus on uh, developing your application. So in summary, uh, we've talked about four ways of automating management tasks. Uh, Cross-region replication is a policy. You can automate transition and expiration with lifecycle policy. Consider doing trigger-based workflow with uh, S3 event notification. Uh, and also, uh, think uh, we recommend uh, using versioning so that you can easily recover from accidental delete. The third big topic that I want to uh, discuss is best some of the best practices you can use to optimize S3 performance. We're going to start with uh, faster upload. If you have, uh, if you have a user-generated content, uh, uh, content use case, you may have customers that are uploading from all over the world into your centralized bucket. 
You may also, or maybe you have, uh, you have to transfer a uh, large amount of data uh, across the continent uh, frequently uh, in your use case. Consider using S3 transfer acceleration. S3 transfer acceleration leverages the AWS Edge network. When you enable transfer acceleration, we, uh, we would automatically route your data into the closest endpoint, uh, into the closest Edge network, so that your data travels, in the, uh, travels the shortest distance, uh, a shorter distance on the public internet, and they travel the remaining, uh, remaining uh, longer distance in the AWS uh, backbone, which is an optimized network. So you get much faster performance that way. Uh, transfer acceleration uses the standard TCP and HTTP protocol. Uh, so there's, uh, you don't need to change any firewall. There's no client software to, uh, to upload. Um, all, you do, all you need to do uh, is to enable, the, uh, enable transfer acceleration for your bucket, and we'll give you an endpoint, and you change that endpoint uh, uh, on, your, on your application. And once you do that, every upload is automatically uh, accelerated. Um, for, uh, you, would, you would notice that uh, the, uh, the benefit of it uh, depends on how long, your, uh, how long the distance is from your source uh, to your destination. Generally, you'll find that the longer the distance and the larger the file, the more you benefit from using S3 transfer acceleration. So we have 68 global edge locations. We just added three more last, uh, last week. So there's bound to be one that is close to your source region. You can also try it uh, before you want to implement it. You can try it at s3speedtest.com uh, from your source region. And you can see uh, how much in your specific use case you'll benefit before you implement it. A second way of uh, getting faster upload of large object is to parallelize put with multi-part uploads. Multi-part uploads allow you to upload large objects in a set of parts. You can upload parts in parallel or in any order. You can pause, you can resume. When you complete a multi-part upload, S3 puts the parts together and create the object for you. When you're uploading large objects over a stable uh, network, uh, over a stable connection with uh, significant bandwidth, you can parallelize uploading that, uh, your parts uh, to maximize that network throughput uh, to get, and to get multi-threaded performance. If you're uploading, on the contrary, if you're uploading uh, objects over a, a spotty network, you may see, uh, you may see your, part, uh, your uh, upload drops being interrupted. Using multi-part upload would actually increase the resiliency uh, for your application to network error because you only need to retry the one or two parts that are dropped, and you don't have to restart that upload from the beginning. Well, we talked about upload. Let's talk about download. You can also parallelize uh, get the same way you parallelize puts. If you are if you are getting large objects, consider using range-based gets. Here's an example uh, of a range-based get uh, where I specify that I wanted to see the first 10 bytes of the object uh, to come back. So you can you can parallelize with range-based gets um, and uh, and uh, get your object uh, back faster. If you know that your object was uploaded with multi-parts, 
you can get uh, uh, you can align your get ranges with those parts uh, so that you uh, you will actually get the best performance that way. If you're doing lots of gets on the same object over the internet, consider using Amazon CloudFront. CloudFront is integrated with S3, and what it does is it caches the object at the edge locations. What it does, once it caches the, the, uh, the object into the, in the uh, edge location, then your, your end user will see much lower latency data transferred to them. And so the performance uh, of their get object is much better that way. The third topic that I want to get to is, uh, is how, what are the ways that you can get higher requests per second out of S3 by distributing your key names? You only need to consider this if you're planning to have an application that would spike over 100 requests per second on your bucket. S3 routinely scales up to millions of uh, requests per second, and the way we do that is that we spread your key names among petitions. And we do that automatically over time as we see your request rate uh, increase. It's interesting to know that our index layer is sorted in an alphanumeric order, the same way you see uh, the result when you list your bucket. So if you name your objects uh, starting with a date, which is quite common, all of these uh, keys will actually fall into the same partition. And if you, uh, when you uh, uh, spike to uh, hundreds of thousands of transaction per se uh, requests per second, uh, it is likely that you might get throttled. And so we want you to consider um, we want you to consider uh, adding randomness to the beginning of your key name, either with a hash or a reverse timestamp. So it would look something like this, and you, as you can see. Every one of these key names now would fall into a different uh, partition, and, you, uh, and so your transaction can be distributed across partitions, and you'll be able to get much higher requests per second without getting throttled. The last topic I want to talk about uh, for performance is, uh, is list. As you know, the uh, S3 list request paginates at 1,000, so we give you 1,000 records at a time. If you have a bucket with lots and lots of, uh, lots and lots of uh, uh, objects, you may spend significant amount of time and effort just to try to list your bucket. So let us do that for you. We're introducing S3 inventory. Uh, what it is is uh, it is a scheduled alternative to the synchronous list. You can get the list result delivered to, to you in your bucket either on a daily or a weekly basis uh, as, a, as a flat CSV file. So uh, you, can, you can instruct us to list either the full bucket or by specific prefix. And what's better is pricing of that is half of our uh, synchronous list API um, at a quarter of a penny per million uh, object listed. And I want to give you a quick getting started uh, with our new management console. It is also under the management tab. Uh, go, to, uh, go to inventory uh, under management and you can uh, you, you specify the destination bucket of your choice. You can specify either a daily interval or weekly interval. If you have a version enable bucket, you can choose to only list the current version of those uh, of those objects, or you can also choose uh, you can also ask us to list everything. 
You can also choose optional fields, uh, additional fields to include in the inventory report, uh, including replication status if you're doing cross-region replication. Uh, let's see. Uh, we, we also want to make sure that uh, you, you're aware that uh, you need to give us permission to write to your bucket. You know, when, uh, when you add your inventory report, uh, when you enable inventory report, uh, we want to make sure that uh, you're giving us uh, the right bucket policy to allow S3 uh, to write to your bucket. So in summary, uh, we've kind of gone through a lot of best practices. We'll give you uh, uh, two ways to uh, get faster upload through S3 transfer acceleration or S3 multiple-part upload. Talked a little bit about key naming for high TPS workload. And a couple ways to optimize your get performance as well as optimize lists by using S3 inventory. Now let's move to some tools that would help you uh, manage your uh, storage. As you store on S3, you are probably used to organizing your data by location. As we are a uh, flat namespace uh, storage, you probably are organizing it by bucket or by prefix. We're introducing S3 object tags, uh, so now you can organize your data based on the nature of data, based on what it is. S3 tags, uh, object tags, are key-value pairs uh, that you can apply to an object. You can put as many as 10 tags per object. With tags, you can set up an IAM access control policy, so you can control access. You can set up a lifecycle policy with tags, as I uh, previously mentioned. You can also customize storage metrics and analytics with tags. There are two ways that you can, uh, you can, uh, put you can tag your object. One is when you, put, when you put your object in your put object request, uh, you can enable the uh, tag, uh, you can uh, put your tags as part of the tag header. Or you can also add tag to existing object uh, with uh, a separate API. Tags can be created, edited, or, or uh, deleted at any time during the lifetime uh, of, the, of the object. Here's an example of how you can manage access uh, with object tags. Uh, this uh, user permission policy grants the user get object permission uh, to, the, uh, to the object in example bucket that has been uh, tagged with project X. So as you can see, you can, uh, you can now uh, use tags to, uh, to basically manage access uh, uh, with, uh, with the policies. Well, to manage your storage, you also need the ability to audit and monitor access. You can do that by enabling uh, uh, CloudTrail, AWS CloudTrail. CloudTrail logs captures uh, bucket level and object, both bucket level and object level details. You might, have been, uh, you might have been familiar with the bucket level details, which we've had for about a year. And uh, last week, we just added object level detail, which we're calling uh, data events. For each uh, request, the log would include who made the API, all the details, who made the API calls, when it was made, what resource was affected. So you can use that, the logs to perform security analysis, meet your IT auditing needs, um, as well as understand what your end user behavior is, and, uh, and also uh, consider changing uh, some of your policy to tighten access control if it needs to be. Uh, the logs are uh, delivered uh, directly to your S3 bucket of your choice. 
you can enable uh, uh, CloudTrail logs uh, at the bucket level. Um, pricing is 10 cents per 10,000 uh, data events. And we also, uh, there's also uh, charges for uh, storage. You can also optionally uh, set a notification so you get notified when the log uh, is delivered to your bucket. Who of you are running a web, mobile, or business application that depends on your cloud storage? Oh, lots of you. So you'll be you'll be interested. You'll probably be interested in um, uh, on the uh, visibility in your storage performance, so you can uh, so you can see what how your operation how the storage is operating against your uh, against your application. Amazon CloudWatch metrics uh, will be something that uh, you should consider. CloudWatch metrics give you the visibility into storage performance so you can quickly uh, identify and act on any operation, operational issue that comes up. You can use, uh, you can, with uh, CloudWatch metrics, we've just added 13 new metrics, including request level metrics, as well as bandwidth metrics in one minute granularity. So these are uh, really good for, this, this is the use cases for operational, uh, operational metrics. You can also set CloudWatch alarm to get an alert if the metrics exceeds the level that you have predefined, so you can act on issues timely. For example, uh, you can you can set uh, you can you can see 400 uh, 400 series error, and you can set a level where you need you uh, you would like to get page uh, because those are the, those are the time when your your end user uh, is uh, getting their performance impacted. You can configure uh, metrics by, uh, by the bucket, prefix, uh, or tags, so you can align uh, your metrics and customize the alert to the specific application or workflow that you're, you're monitoring for. Uh, metrics is uh, 30 cents per metric per month. I want to show you a little bit about how it looks like. So this is how it looks like. It is, uh, it is also uh, part of the management tab uh, within the uh, AWS uh, S3 console. And what you can see, this example, is, uh, is the total request latency in millisecond uh, per request. And you can see that you, you, can, uh, you, can, uh, you can hover over uh, each of these data points, and it would actually uh, show you the reading on it. So you can get real-time operations and performance of your storage. When you enable this for the first time, it may take up to 15 minutes uh, to, uh, to see uh, the metrics start flowing. And you can also see uh, on, on the top there, you can get a time series uh, of it. You can choose between one, anywhere between one hour all the way up to two weeks, so you can see uh, uh, how your operations is doing historically as well. So that we have, uh, we, we added 13 new metrics uh, to CloudWatch. We, uh, we have uh, existing, uh, before this we have storage metrics, so you can see object count, and how much storage you have. So they're storage-related metrics. And now we've, uh, we have just uh, added 13 more, uh, including nine requests-related uh, metrics, so all the different kinds of requests, um, as well as 400 or 500 errors and latency-related uh, metrics. And you can set alarms uh, on any of those in the CloudWatch console. Okay. Here's how you get started. Uh, you'll probably be f uh, familiar with this console now. Uh, under the management tab, in the middle is the, is the metrics, uh, in the middle of the metrics tab. You can enable uh, metrics in, on the left side of the console uh, by checking the box. 
You can add filter under the under the filter column. And again, once you enable this, you start seeing uh, you start seeing metrics flowing in about 15 minutes. Okay. So in some in summary, uh, we've talked about quite a few ways for you to manage your storage. You can classify your storage and manage access using S3 object tags. You can audit and monitor access using AWS CloudTrail logs. You can also monitor, operational, uh, monitor your operational performance and set alarm with S3 CloudWatch metrics. And to recap, um, we've kind of gone through uh, quite a bit today. Uh, to recap, we've, uh, we've talked about how you can pick uh, the right storage class for your use case, including some tools to help you do that. We've talked about how to automate management tasks some of the best practices you can use to optimize your S3 performance, as well as tools to help you uh, manage storage. So, and I th think with that, um, actually one thing that I, before, uh, before I uh, end this presentation, if you're interested in how one of our customer uses S3 for their big data platform, FINRA is sharing their architecture and their experience in the next hour in Venetian Ballroom B. So you can uh, you can go and listen to them, uh, listen to their experience firsthand if you like. So with that, um, I I will actually conclude this uh, uh, this presentation, and I'm going to stay uh, out in the foyer here uh, to take any questions you have. Thank you very much.